welcome to the Change Book Radio Show with your host, work-life fit expert, Deb Crow. Join Deb every week as she interviews the co-authors from all over the globe. They'll share their insights into self-empowerment with their personal stories and real-life experiences that will help your own personal development and touch every area of your life. Join Deb every Wednesday on Blog Talk Radio at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Well, good evening, everyone, and here I am back with you live again for a third night this week. Such an honor for me. It is June the 21st, 2017, the first day of summer. It's sunny and beautiful, 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time here in Canada. Really, really delighted to interview a very classy lady tonight. Her name is Andrea Wilson-Woods, and she's one of my fellow co-authors in book number 12 of The Change. And I'd like to tell you a little bit about her before we start our interview. She is a ICF Associate Certified Coach, but Andrea specializes in career and business coaching. And she's also a writer who loves to tell stories. She's a patient advocate who runs a nonprofit, and she uh, alludes that she will forever be a steel magnolia. Andrea returned to Birmingham, Alabama about two and a half years ago after her living her whole entire adult life in Los Angeles. The following year, she started her own consulting company called Build Your Bliss. And Andrea believes through her, her coaching business that practical methods and the power of storytelling can help create joy and passion and really help people live an authentic life. Andrea has obtained her master's degree in professional writing from the University of California, and her nonfiction writing has won national awards. So, Andrea, welcome to the Change Book Radio Show. Thank you so much for having me. I shared with you before we uh, became live here on the airwaves, I, I just, I'm so drawn to your picture that's in book 12. And I look at it, it makes me think of looking at my grandma with the black and white photo from like the 1920s. So I think I'm going to coin you a forever steel magnolia, but I think maybe you might have been a flapper girl in your, in your uh, previous life, maybe. It's just the aura and the beauty and grace that your photo gives off. Oh, thank you. And um, absolutely, I love jazz. So I definitely think I was alive during that era, 100%. I'm thinking. So I want to ask you, because we share uh, book 12 together, and I'm so glad we're finally getting an opportunity to chat. How did you become involved with Jim Britt and Jim Lutz? And what was it that enticed you or drew you to become a member of our global community and write your chapter? Well, um, Jim and Jim approached me, and I asked them how they found me. I was very curious about their method and strategy, and they told me that they do pretty extensive searches, and they look for coaches and consultants and service providers um, who are doing really positive things in the world, and they put in keywords, and they also wanted people who were 
social media savvy, and I have a background in that, and they wanted people who would be able to promote themselves. And so they approached me, and then I had an interview with Jim, and I was incredibly intrigued, and I am a writer, so I felt comfortable with the writing part, although at the time I had no idea what I was going to write about, and that's how I became involved. Deb, are you still there? Did I lose you there? We're back? Yeah, I didn't Yeah, I didn't hear you at all if you asked another question. No worries. So I wanted to ask you about the interest and authenticity, I guess, of how you became a storyteller and, and how that became part of your life, be it personal and professional. And if you would share with the listeners how that become part of maybe your modality of coaching or give us a little overview on that. Oh, um, I just believe that stories connect people. And, and, and at the end, we all become someone's story, right? And I've always been a very good storyteller. I think that was innate. I learned that from a very young age. My um, father has a story he loves to tell. Maybe I got a little bit of it from him that, when I was a little girl and my parents were still married, we lived in this cul-de-sac in this small town in Arkansas. And um, and this will give you insight into another aspect of my personality. But there were a lot of kids. We were all around the same age, all within about five years of each other. And my dad loves to tell the story that on Saturday mornings he would come out and see me and the kids, and I would be standing around with all the kids, and a lot of them older than I was, and I would say, this is what we're going to do today. And I would tell everybody. And um, I would produce talent shows and all sorts of things. Uh, and I just had a really active imagination from from sort of day one. And although I never thought necessarily I would become a writer, I, that, that, came, that came later. That really honestly came later out of um, – trying to deal with some emotional pain I had, and someone said, well, why don't you just write it out? And they were right, so that's what I did. So initially I was writing fiction in my 20s, but all of my fiction was based on nonfiction experiences, and then I just said, this is ridiculous, and I started leaning toward nonfiction and finally got my master's degree um, in nonfiction uh, writing. So, but I just... Storytelling is really powerful, and when it comes to coaching, I often use stories to illustrate very specific points, and it connects people, and it helps people understand. Well, I fully agree, and I I think the social or cultural, uh, it's often described as that. It can be narrative. Some people do it with theatrics, improvisation, but I think for me, when I think about storytelling, it shows me isn't as big as we think it is, and I think it allows us to just really be who we're meant to be and how other people can certainly be relatable, and I just think some people are so phenomenal, whether they tell the story through through writing or acting. And I just, I, I think it's, um, like you said, for you, it may be innate, but I think it's a learned skill for most people. 
And I think once it's like anything else, I think once you learn how to do it and hone it quite well, you can really be magical with your message, can't you? Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Now, I know that you wrote about um, your sister mm-hmm. in your um, bio in the book, and I'd, and I'd love to hear a little bit about that story. Um, we, I, I have lost a sibling as well to cancer, and I wanted to uh, ask you, well, let me, let me first let you tell us a little bit about that story, and was it instrumental in starting Build Your Bliss? Okay. Um, when I was 22 years old, I gained custody of my then eight-year-old sister, Adrian. We have the same mother. We have different fathers. Um, her father passed away before she was born. Adrian came to live with me in Los Angeles at the time. And so we were 14 years apart. And um, I sued our mother for custody and won. And so I raised Adrian all through my 20s. Um, in L.A., and she was finishing her freshman year of high school, just about done. I came home from work one day. I was actually teaching. Uh, turned out I was really good at teaching, but I became a teacher to be on her schedule, to, to be there for her. And I came home, and she was already home from from high school and found her curled up in a fetal position saying she couldn't breathe. And... Six hours later, an ER doctor told us that she had tumors in her liver and lungs. That was the last day she actually attended school in person. And two days later, she was diagnosed with primary liver cancer, and in less than five months, she died. Um, It was so traumatic. She was my whole life, and she died two months after my 29th birthday. And she was was my sister, as she was my child. you know, and I really looked forward to one day being her friend. You know, I, we, we, had, we had very set boundaries around this because um, because when she first came to live with me, it, it was a real problem. So it, was, it became kind of a running joke. Parent, uh, parent, sister, friend was the order of events. So, um, and it, it was it was just an incredibly incredibly painful thing. And a little more than a year after Adrian died, I started. My nonprofit, which is my passion but not my vocation, Blue Fairy, the Adrian Wilson Liver, Liver Cancer Association, and we're the only nonprofit in the U.S. specifically devoted to fighting primary liver cancer. And you can check us out at bluefairy.org. That's B-L-U-E-F-A-E-R-Y.org. Um, and I've become far more active in that in the last couple of years because liver cancer, unfortunately, is on the rise in this country, but at least people are starting to pay attention now. Um, yeah, so it was, it was just really, it was really marked almost a black line in my life where there was sort of before and after, and it was a big change for me. I changed careers. I walked away from the entertainment industry. I'd been working as an actress as well, and... It it just shifted everything. Because I became a teacher to be on Adrian's schedule and discovered I was good at, good at it, that stayed with me. And that kind of stayed with me throughout the different types of careers I entered in my 30s, which included you know, working on a research study where I was a facilitator, so I was still in a leadership role, to working as a social media manager, 
um, to working as a graduate TA, and I was teaching undergraduate students writing. So it really stayed with me that I had this ability to be a naturally good coach and to teach people skills that I knew how to do. And so I wouldn't say Adrian's death resulted in me finally creating Build Your Bliss, but certainly um, she taught me to, not to be cliched, but to really seize the day because during her 147-day battle with primary liver cancer, she never felt sorry for herself. And I have tried incredibly hard to live my life with as much humor and grace and dignity as she had during those 147 days because I've never seen anything like it. Um, So, yeah, so she's my hero in a nutshell. Well, I'm I'm humbled and grateful that you shared um that with the listeners because when I when I read your chapter, um I lost my brother to mesothelioma, which is asbestos cancer, and he uh installed asbestos for almost 20 years and had a chest cold and it just wasn't going away and they did a chest x-ray 3 weeks apart. And um, it's it's a type of cancer that only affects muscles like your lungs and your esophagus. And the sad part for us was he was a young dad. He got married at 20. So his girls were 19 and 21. And I was expecting my first daughter and moving in my first home. And I didn't really get to enjoy those experiences because I was just grieving. Like you said, it's... um, Sometimes it's indescribable. You feel inconsolable. And I decided after that uh, loss um, that I was going to go and volunteer at hospice. And that's exactly what I did because I thought, and, and you talk about this in your chapter, you don't really get over loss and there's no time lineage for loss, but I'm relatable to other people. I can, you know, I could sit with you like we're doing now or we could be sitting face to face and I could wholeheartedly and authentically embrace the moment and look you in the eye and say, Andrea, I really know how you feel. And you would, and you would feel that from me because I think when you're grieving and you have felt that genuine depth of loss like you did because you were a parent a sister a friend it was such a deepened relationship on so many levels for you so I that's my way of giving back and um, I've lost both my parents to cancer and it's people say how do you deal with this and I don't think you really deal with it I think you just develop coping strategies and you've done many different um, things through time since your sister passed away and there's not a a right modality and there's not a a wrong modality but we just have to keep navigating as Alan Witch would say to me out of book seven um tomorrow's (laughs) a new day right you have to just keep swimming you have to just keep navigating but just really want to commend you on starting um the nonprofit, and I love the way you framed that and said it was your passion not your vocation and you know what maybe one day those two roads will meet Right. You certainly yeah. have all the skills and the knowledge and the emotional 
secret to, to make that come to fruition. So just a really, really beautiful story uh, that you wrote about your sister. And, and thank you for sharing it with us. Oh, well, thank you so much. And thank you for sharing about your brother and your parents. And um, every, and I, 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 yeah. every week there's a synergy with all of us co-authors. So I just, I don't know how Jim and Jim have figured out how this community, <laughs> I'm serious. Know, every week right? there's synergy and I'm, I'm, I'm like the little concierge now. I'm like, you need to talk to so-and-so from this book and you, you know, you have all this in common and it's just, it's so much fun. So. Now, one of the things that I'm really excited to talk to you about is I'm engaging in my 200-hour yoga teacher training, and I I see that that you had done that, and I would love to hear about that and about some of the strategies that you learned and some of the techniques and and what led you to, to do that. Well, I, I did it backwards, as I do a lot of things in my life. <laughs> so so um, I'll give a, one a funny example, and I'll talk about yoga. So, you know, most people are, you know, single, married, and then parents. Well, I was a parent, and then my sister passed away, and then I was married, then I got divorced, and then I lived for the first time in my life, I lived alone. Um, and I had never lived alone before because I L.A. is so expensive. I always had roommates or housemates, or I had a little girl. So I never truly lived alone until after my divorce. So like I said, I like to do things a little backwards. So my first teacher training was a 300-hour yoga teacher training, which is typically done after a 200-hour. Um, it's an ex- extended training for people who are already teaching and want a deeper dive into the philosophy. And I was the only person in the training who was not a yoga teacher at the time. And when I applied, spots available, and I was, you know, I had an interview, and my now mentor and yoga teacher said, well, why would you want to do this? And I said, this is about me. I said, I need this for me. And she loved that. She loved that answer. I said, you know, this is 100% about me and deepening my practice and my spirituality and focusing on myself. And so my 300 hour was much more into the philosophy of yoga and getting into the sutras and the text and, um, and all types of things from the chakras to visualization to meditation. And, and it was a year long experience and that was in, um, Los Angeles, and it was with 15 people. It was a very close group. We met every month, and it was really, it was really incredible. I mean, it was just this amazing experience to have, and I just learned so many different actual tools that I use with my clients. Even in career coaching, I use these these tools, and I mentioned uh, two in the chapter that are fantastic. And I earlier today was doing a workshop for another coach and used a tool. And it's just, it was really incredible and just good for me. It was a great time in my life to have it because things were not going well in my marriage. And so I really needed to sort of go inside and focus on myself. And then when I moved to Birmingham, I did the 200 hour, which you're doing now. So I could, if I wanted to, teach yoga, and, and I have, and I, I sometimes sub for people. Um, so I did the 200-hour where you you really are learning more about the asana, the poses, 
the anatomy, um, so you so you can teach properly. And that was great as well because it was different. It wasn't as much philosophy, and the teacher had an incredibly different background than my teacher in Los Angeles. Um, so I feel like I got through the whole spectrum of yoga, and I, I just feel very fortunate. So I'm a, a 500-hour certified yoga teacher who doesn't teach. <laughs> at least not at least not yoga classes, not not the poses. So Well and and I know that you're laughing at yourself about about that, but it doesn't mean authentically teaching a yoga class. You you have embraced and learned five hundred hours of philosophy and the anatomy and all the different components that it has. And I would bet a wager that all of those modalities have a place in your coaching practice yes. because yeah. it's, it's who you are. It's who you've become. And just the bereavement and grief that you have gone through, come out the other side. I mean, you even used Albert Einstein's favorite quote in your chapter, which I'm going to quote because I love it. I need to print this out and hang it on my wall the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. So just because we learn a course or a practice like yoga, it doesn't mean that we have to offer it the way we learned it. I think we massage it and add ourselves to it and create our, our life or, or our businesses. And I'm sure it's a huge proponent to what you offer to all of your clients and, and your speaking. And I'm sure it came through in, in the writing of your of your book. Yeah, it, you're right. You're absolutely right. And it, it's funny, depending on the client, um, I won't even mention the word yoga. Do you know what I mean? It just depends on the client. But absolutely, I, I use the tools. I do. Well, I've had, <laughs> I'll share with you, I've had about a half a dozen friends say to me, what, why? Like, why do you want to go do yoga? And you know what? I said the same two things as you did. I said, it's for me, and I want to deepen my practice. Um, I was a medical case manager for 23 years, so take the level of being in, in grief over losing a loved one and have 25 of those that you have to look after as patients on a full-time basis over a continuum of 23 years. And I'm speaking of catastrophically injured people, injury, spinal cord injury, sometimes, you know, a fatality. So always that um, ability to balance myself because I was around trauma and grief and loss. And I just got to a point where um, I, I called, named it a place. I called it beyond.com. And I realized it's time to hang up my shingle. So much like you write about in your book, since I closed my practice in 2011, I feel like I've kind of hip-hopped around doing different consulting jobs and different things, much like you felt after the loss of your sister, and I look back now and I think the last six years were to be exactly as they were to be because I gained new skills, I broadened my network, and, you know, you talk about doing things backwards, and I think you've done them exactly the way your life has been to unfold. 
So I guess it's all in how we choose to interpret it and not necessarily be society's way of doing things. But I'm like you. I do everything upside down, backwards. <laughs> I, Jim Luce always says to me, Deb Crow, you were born to stand out, not fit in. You know, I am, I am like you. I am that round peg in the square hole, and I'm okay with it. Yeah. Yeah, me too. And I think with yoga, and and please correct me, but this is my kind of mindset going into this. I'm starting um, the weekend of July 8th and 9th. There's a a deeper Deb Crow that I want to get to know on a really intimate level. And I'm going in with an open heart and an open mind. And I know some of my peers, there's only eight of us in our class. And wow. our yoga, te- this is what the yoga teacher said to us. She said, we're going to get into some deep shit. And <laughs> she's like, I need to know that you can handle it. I said, I'm a Taurus. I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> that is so funny. After our 300 hour, because we, we kept saying something similar all the time. So after our 300 hour, we all had shirts made and on the front. It spelled out yoga with people's bodies. It was really cute. And on the back, it says, this shit works. And I get more compliments on that T-shirt when people actually see the back than any other T-shirt I've ever had in my life. It's really funny. Um, It's true, though, right? It works. It really works. Well, because I think society has an opinion. And like I said, I've had a couple friends say, why why are you going to do a yoga course like I know so many yoga teachers and they're weird and I said I'm not weird I'm fun I'm outgoing like if you're in my yoga class and you're doing something wrong like I'm going to call you out you know and it may not be soft you know or whatever but it'll be the Deb Crow way and how I learned and how I interpreted it and she and, and my friends just started laughing but it's just society's way because if anything's a little woo woo and it doesn't have that concrete you know, emotional theory that can, you know, be attached to right away with thought and emotion, then people kind of go, oh, you know, I don't really know what to think about that. And I think, you know, sometimes I just want people to realize that they don't always have to have an opinion when they think about something. It's okay to be unsure or not okay with something. Yeah. Yeah, you don't need right? to open your mouth and say something every single time. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so tell us what we're halfway through like 2017. I can't believe it's the first day of <laughs> summer and I'm totally going to remember it now because I've, I've got to talk to you. So now I've that, you know, when someone says, what did you do the first day of summer? I'm going to say, oh, I talked to like this cool co-author uh, that I'm in a book with. See, this will be my mnemonic for, for Andrea now. So <laughs> It's my favorite season, too. Yeah, yeah. me too. So tell me, on the longest day of the year, what's up for you for the rest of 2017? What are you working on? Do you have some projects? Is your book finished? Let us know what what Andrea's going to be doing. Um, Okay, so one of the big things I did in 2017 was many years ago when I finished my master's degree, my thesis was, a memoir based on raising my sister and, and losing her to cancer. And we were, she was a writer as well. So, and she actually had an online journal that she started before she got sick 
that I, I never read until several years after she passed away. And so what I did was I structured the book like a journal. So she was only sick 147 days. The book is called Better Off Bald, A Life in 147 Days. And the days are chapters. So day one is chapter one, and then there gets to a point where the days, you know, are combined. But And by day three, each chapter opens up with a quote from her. So you see her point of view about what's going on versus my point of view about what's going on. And I use flashbacks to weave in, you know, how I got custody of her, you know, what, what our life was actually like prior to those, that day we heard those, those eight horrible words about tumors in her liver and lungs. So, so you get the whole backstory of, you know, of life, you know, between the ages, of, you know, up to eight, ages eight to 15. So, um, and I've had that book for a long time. I've, I had readers, I had amazing writing mentors in grad school, I've had multiple revisions, and I just had such a hard time getting an agent. I had a fantastic editor. I even mentioned this in the chapter, and professional editor who just kind of vanished after saying he was going to help me with the book. And finally, I just and I've had so many people in my sort of nonprofit world are like, "You've got to get her story out. You've got to get her story out because it really helps destigmatize liver cancer." I mean, Adrian's story really lets people know, hey, this is not, this doesn't just happen to you because you're an alcoholic. Sorry, that's not how primary liver cancer works, and there's a, there are a lot of misconceptions. So what I decided to do this year was to tell her story in real time, the way it happened to us, because that's how I wrote the book, in real time, the way it happened to us. So I launched the podcast on May 15th, which was the day before, so literally is before Adrian. There's a short prologue. And then May 16th was day one, and the podcast runs all the way until October 16th, which is the day I buried Adrian. And um, and I've been so thrilled and surprised by the response to the podcast. I mean, yes, I am promoting it, but I came back from a medical conference about two weeks ago, and I was at the conference less than an hour setting up our booth and someone came up to me and said they were listening to the podcast. And then my very first meeting a couple hours later, someone from a pharmaceutical company said, oh, I'm watching the video series. And and the podcast was an afterthought. It really was truly, how can I repurpose the video series? And and the podcast is the thing that has really taken off, and it's available on iTunes and Stitcher. If you just search Better Off Bald, three separate words, or if you go on my website, andreawilsonwoods.com slash podcast um, it will come up as well and it's that's been amazing and I, I can't wait to see where that goes um, I have a lot of traveling coming up in September uh, kind of starting in September again I get a break in, in the summer I'm really excited about that and then starting in September I'm going to Stanford has an event they do called Medicine X, and I won a patient advocate scholarship there, and I'm going to be doing some speaking, and they're actually coming out here to do a short portrait film on me in a couple of weeks. They're sending a camera guy out here, so that'll be an interesting experience, (laughs) and then I'll be in D.C. um, for about a week in October, 
And then I'll be speaking at a conference in December. Um, again, this is all my patient advocacy work. Um, yeah, so lots of traveling going on, and things are really picking up with my nonprofit. So I think your prediction may come true. Well, I know my prediction's going to come through, and I, I'm just sitting here <laughs> listening to you thinking, you go, girl, because you know what? You are so relatable. You know, it's not about the initials after our name. I have many friends. I like They have alphabets after their name. And our life experience and our emotional intelligence and our coping strategies and how we as human emotional beings help each other, that is what people want to listen to. It's who they want to go speak from the stage. So I think the whole initiative with Stanford is phenomenal. I, I'm just, uh, I, I'm beyond happy for you, whatever the, whatever that word may be, because <laughs> Thank you're, you. you're going to touch somebody in that audience, Andrea. Somebody's going to need you. to hear your message. And I think you're landing there for a reason. And I also think the, the podcast, I, I almost think on a spiritual level, it's, it's your sister's way of giving you, you know, that last little bit of reminiscing that you need to get through to kind of have a bit of closure. And, and I only say that to you because I, I am a grief counselor at our hospice and um, I'm going to give this out to our group uh, to listen to because, again, when someone can relate to someone who knows how their heart feels and their mind can't understand that is just such a, such a valuable tool to share. And I think, I, I think that'll be a wonderful um, strategy. And again, I know you're probably using it in your coaching practice. So we are our own worst critics, Andrea. And I think, I think what you've done is, is, is you've taken kind of a really sad time in your life and you've worked on you and then figured out how you can integrate it into the professional services you provide and look where it's taking you. Yeah. 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 And I, I really appreciate that. And I, you know, I agree with something you said. It's the video series and podcast has been 10 times harder than I thought it would be. Um, and, and in fact, I'm, I'm glad people are listening to the podcast because I, I'm a hot mess in the video series. I look awful. <laughs> so, um, and it's, it's, been, it's been really, really difficult. And a, a very good friend of mine who is incredibly spiritual and very in tune um, said it will be interesting to see if your health problems clear up when you're done recording the podcast. Because I'll, I'll finish recording the podcast. I've been on a really tight schedule and um, I started recording the podcast at the beginning of April it didn't you know it didn't launch till mid-May but I started the beginning of April to stay way ahead of it um, I actually I started the week before my sister's birthday and a few weeks later after coming back from a, a trip in Amsterdam for my nonprofit first time in Europe didn't get to really enjoy it it was work 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 came back I was incredibly sick with a cold that got misdiagnosed as an upper respiratory infection and turned out I have walking pneumonia. And I saw the x-ray. I finally took my own advice that I give patients and got a second opinion and saw my doctor, 
saw the x-ray of my lungs, and it, and it just looks like spider webs coming out of my lungs. It's, it's crazy. I've never quite seen anything like that um, of my own body. And, and in Chinese medicine, grief lives in your lungs. Sadness, depression, all of that is, is in your lungs. And, and I'll be done recording at the end of July if I stick to my schedule, and so far I have, um, even when I got behind with this walking pneumonia, I managed to catch up last weekend. So even though, again, it airs all the way through to mid-October, which is perfect, that's Liver Cancer Awareness Month, um, I'll be done at the end of July. I'll be done before my birthday, which is mid-August. And it, I, I agree with my friend. It'll be really interesting to see because a lot of stuff is coming up for me, and I am truly reliving this all over again, and it has been very tough. Really, really, really tough. Well, and I'm glad your friend shared with you the emotional part because upper respiratory is all grief. And yeah. it's it's just fascinating to me because you've done your yoga and there's still some remnants in there that have to come. And I think the podcast is going to be your modality to talk your way through that timeline in your life and if I was watching your video, again, you're your own worst critic. You think that you look like a hot mess, but you know what? To, to someone grieving, you're going to look so authentic. Because yeah. when you've lost a loved one, you don't look like a movie star. You shouldn't be presenting, articulating. You should be an emotional hot mess. So to me, you're again just giving that whole branch of authenticity and raw emotion to your sister. Right. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm going to give you five healing affirmations um, that were given to me after my brother died. And I want to do them on the recording so that you have them. And oh, great. I yeah. want I want you to say these every day and I want you to type them out. I'm going to send them to you in uh, in a message after our interview. And let's expedite and get you healthy because you got a lot of work to do this year and you have a lot of lives to touch and your message needs to get out there. And the only way we're going to do that is to help you get healthy on an emotional level because the cognitive always looks after itself, right? right? Okay, so here's my five healing affirmations for you. The first one is, I allow my body to become an environment for health and healing. I freely take in ideas that are filled with the breath and intelligence of life. I am submerged in eternal light. It permeates every particle of my being. I am able to metabolize, process, and release all emotions. And the last one is, I am healthy, prosperous, and happy, and I live in abundance. Because after listening to your schedule for the remainder of 2017, <laughs> you are going to be you are going to be healthy and prosperous and happy and living in abundance. I think the Stanford thing is going to really implode for you. I don't know why. It's just a feeling that I have. And because you were the parent, the sister, and friend, you're just so relatable to so many people, Andrea. When you tell her story. And, and telling her story is keeping her, her spirit alive, right? Yeah, yeah. 
and and this is something she wanted. It was actually very important for her to people that people know what happened to her. Um, it was something, you know, she she talked about because there were just so many misconceptions. And yeah, so I, I feel like I'm doing our work. So yeah, I'm glad you said our. Yeah, and you will have to send these affirmations because I can't type that fast. I tried. <laughs> oh no, I no, I just wanted you to listen. I'm gonna I'm gonna send it to you. Oh, and they're, they're beautiful. I really think you should connect with Diana Allen from the Change. I'm gonna introduce you, and okay. um, another co-author who you really have synergy with is Lauren Pauly, and she's a speech language pathologist, but she. I joke with her. She keeps her toe in the speech language pathology pond, but um, she has had um, a long bout with bipolar disorder and has written a book and it's gone all over the world. She's doing phenomenal, Um, but there's just a lot of synergy with the the types of work that you're doing. So I'm going to introduce you. And then we have a Hollywood producer in the change and his name's David Hevener. And I think you need to talk to him about your about your sister and your story. Oh, I've exchanged emails with him. I read his chapter. Yeah, he is yeah. a very, very, very cool guy. And um, there's just synergy there of the work that you're doing, the work that you have forthcoming, and even the work that you don't even know that's going to come off of all of this. And I'm I'm thinking that you and I need to create a one day a one day seminar on grief, loss, and trauma and how to, you know, navigate that tunnel and come out the other side. I think we'd be fabulous. Yeah. Oh, I love that idea. I do. Because I agree. I you said something do that. much earlier about there's no one way or right way to grieve, and that is so true. It is so true. There, There isn't. There really isn't. Well, I'm going to give time. you, I'll give you a prime example. And this comes up regularly when I'm leading my bereavement group and it's either a husband or a wife has lost the spouse and we're talking anywhere from age 30 let's say 38 to 70 so pretty broad broad range and in the group we always have two facilitators because there's always a few people who get very emotional and we like to take them out of the room so we can give them the one-on-one that they need and not take away from the, the flow and the energy of, of the rest of the group. Sure. And every session, I know that I say this answer and I will hear from someone to say, I'll just use your name. I can't believe Andrea is already dating. I can't believe Andrea got engaged. How can she even think of getting married again? You know, when, when say her, you know, her pretend husband, Tom, there's no lineage to grief. There's no lineage to bereavement. And when we talk about the conversations that happen when they were alive, I always frame it and say, Andrea, would Tom have wanted you to be alone for the rest of your life? And when you're able to bring back that real moment and the thoughts and remove sad emotion, 
then you're into a nice free flowing conversation that's not drowning in grief. And it's a really, really beautiful moment to experience with people. And every time I leave the hospice, I can't explain it to you, but it's that deja vu of knowing you're in the right place at the right time. And I just have this sense of ease lifted off my shoulders when I walk out the front door, like you were so meant to be here tonight. Like I just, I don't, I don't know how to explain it. And I'm hoping through my yoga training, I'm going to maybe learn um, a better expression to say that to people. It's just like, I just, I know I'm to be there and I love being there because it's a place where people live. And I know it's an end of life place, but there's a lot of living that goes on and that's a paradigm I'm, consistently shifting with people but the point I'm trying to make is you know everybody has some really awful times in their life and we can either succumb to it or we can rise to it and figure out how it's going to fit in with who we are in our future and I think that you're doing that in so many different ways and the catalyst is is the honor of your sister's life it's beautiful thank you Thank you. And I, I really love what you're doing. I'm a huge believer in hospice and and um I had two deaths in the last gosh, I guess in the last less than two years with my step grandfather and my maternal aunt and one was just absolutely horrific and and one was positive and they they both had cancer and um my um step grandfather, you know, I was just so so proud of him because he had a very aggressive cancer. He was misdiagnosed. Finally got him to a specialist. Uh, it was in a very small little town. Finally got him to a specialist who works on that cancer every single day. And um, and he had, you know, everything surgically removed. But, I mean, it was just so aggressive. And they were going to do chemo and radiation. And I happened to be in the room visiting. And when he said, and he was a very, he was like, he was like John Wayne. I always called him John Wayne because he was, strong, silent type. He never said anything. And there's my step-grandmother and my stepmother, and they're like two hens, like talking about the radiation, the chemo, when it's starting. And, and I was right there when he just said, no, I'm not doing it. He was so unhappy. And I think he just really felt in his body that it was coming back. And it, and it did come back very aggressively. And he knew. And now he was 82 years old. And he just said, I'm done. And I, and, and they started just, you know, bickering, going nuts. And I said, ladies, ladies, you got to listen to him, okay? It's his body. Listen to him. Let him speak. And and he, and he because of that, because he, he, you know, choosing not to do treatment is a choice, he went into hospice much earlier than most people do. He had the opportunity to say goodbye to everybody, his friends, his grandchildren, his great-grandchildren, and he had this painless, beautiful death in his home with with his wife of over 50 years at his bedside, not in a hospital, not hooked up to machines, and just, it, you know, he just had this really amazing experience. I wasn't there when he, when he died, but, you know, I, I heard all about it, and I'm just, I'm just so proud of him because it's not easy to stand up to those two women. <laughs> so, um, but you know, hospice is really does get a bad rap. I guess that's what I'm saying. It does, and and we had a very positive experience with hospice. Um, 
Now, my sister didn't go into hospice until very late, but our experience was overwhelmingly positive and great and, um, you know, but, yeah. And people can go in and out of hospice, right? That's another thing people don't understand. Just you can, you can, you know, start treatment again and feel better and you don't have to stay in hospice, you know, <laughs> so... Um, so that's my that's my two cents on hospice. <laughs> yeah, and and it's and again, it's a personal decision. Like that's the bottom line, right? Yeah. So I started um, playing a bit of a word game with my with my guests to have some fun. So I'm gonna Uh-oh. ask you some I'm gonna ask you some questions, Uh-oh. and okay. you are not allowed to think. It's the first thing that is sitting in that frontal lobe needs to come right out. Oh, Are you boy. ready? Okay. Sure. Describe Andrea in one word. Persistent. Describe Andrea in one characteristic. Creative. What's the best advice you'd give to a younger version of yourself? Don't confuse who you are with what you do. Ooh, that's a good one. Best okay, now received. I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you. So the beginning of the sentence is what makes you, and I'm gonna give you the word. What makes you laugh out loud? Oh, <laughs> oh gosh, it doesn't take very much, really. Um, children, uh, ch- ch- small children, just being small children, being silly. Uh, my puppy. Uh, my boyfriend making really terrible bad jokes. Um, you know, it's not hard to make me laugh. If you can't make me laugh, something's wrong. So. Well, it's the best medicine, right? What makes you yeah. excited? Um, knowing I'm helping liver cancer patients, knowing I'm making a really positive difference in the world, knowing that I help the client land their dream job, um, knowing that that my sister's story, you know, impacted someone in a meaningful way. Um, Just, I guess, just overall knowing that I'm leaving the earth just a slightly better place. What makes you surprised? Oh, not too much anymore. Um, Hmm. I want to I want to put in a joke here and say you've been there, done that, and you really do have the T-shirt. <laughs> I know, right? I know. Um, yeah, I not people rarely surprise me anymore. Um, not because I think I expect the worst, just because I feel like yeah, I kind of have seen it. Um, what what surprises me? I'm trying to think of the last time I was surprised. Um, Oh, you know, actually, I'm doing this amazing project with my dad right now for his 70th birthday last year. I gave him um, the gift of StoryWorth, where every week I get to ask him a question, and at the end of the year, this year, I'm going to put it in a book. And I am surprised, not always, but, but occasionally surprised by the answers to his questions. And it has been a really amazing experience for both of us and for me to get to know him even better. And it's really bonded us even more. And so, yeah, so that actually surprises me. My dad occasionally surprises me. What makes you sad? Oh, when I think about how much the world missed out 
with Adrian. She was um, a young spirit, but man, she was an old soul, and she was highly ambitious. She knew where she wanted to go to college. She wasn't 100% sure what she wanted to study, but, um, you know, she she just was so excited about everything, and she had so much talent, a crazy amount of talent, um, you know, uh, highly creative. She was a writer. She was a visual artist. She was a, a budding musician. She actually started doing yoga in 2000. <laughs> um, so I think I think she subconsciously um, got me into yoga. She, um, it makes me sad to think about how much the world missed out with her and what she could have done. And she would have been 31 years old this year, and that makes me really sad. Okay, so I'm I'm going to coach you right now because I can. <laughs> you're you're going to reframe that and not be sad because you are keeping her legacy alive. And look at all the similarities you've just basically described yourself. When you re-listen to this recording and how you just described your sister, it's you. Okay, I, I I will listen. I don't know what you mean, but I will. <laughs> Every everything you just described about who she was and what she loved and where her talents lie, it's you. Oh, I don't it's know, Deb. I'm not a good musician. <laughs> but you know what? You're you're continuing on her legacy. And yeah. so the world really isn't missing out on her because you're you're telling her story and keeping her alive in that way. Yeah. Right? Yeah, that's true. We are we are our own worst critic, you know. Tell me what is your favorite quote and why? Oh, um children leave you. So do husband husbands and lovers, but sisters Sisters are with you from birth till death. And it's of unknown origin. And I don't think I need to say why, <laughs> except that it is so true. Um, and, you know, I'm happy to say one of my closest friends actually, after my sister passed away, she really worked on her relationship with her sister they were not close. They're not that. There's not a big age gap there, but they just were very different personalities. And, and and I'm always so delighted now to see how close they are. And especially now that she has a child. And and um, but yeah, it's, it, there's something really special about having a sister. Sister, it's just there. There's just nothing else like it. So. Well, and I agree, and I have a sister, and, and we are not super close, but I, I make an effort, and I will tell you when you get to know and reach out to the many women in, I'm dissing the men, but a lot of women in the change book, and many of them are like sisters, and I have really um, created and surrounded myself with some beautiful women in this change book series. And I have really good friends, but some of them actually say I am their soul sister. So I'm, I'm bringing you into that circle because I, I just feel like I've talked to you before. Like this has just been such a free flowing, fun conversation. 
And I, when, when you reach out and get to meet uh, some of the other women from books one to, to 13, you'll just be amazed at um, just the grace and how you're embraced and how they want to learn about you. And it comes from a place of, of love. It's, um, it's again, it's this amazing community that Jim and Jim have created for us. And uh, I just feel honored. So we have, we have a minute left. I told you this was going to go by fast and I have one more question for you. Okay. Andrea. Oh, you cut out. Are you enough? Oh, hell yeah. Good. That was the the 500 hour yoga test. (laughs) (laughs) That was like the easiest question ever. (laughs) Yes. But you know how many people cannot answer that or struggle to answer that? And I thought, okay, $500 of yoga, I want to hear a hell yeah. And I got it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It, took, yeah, it definitely took me a long time to get there. I could not have said that when I was 30. That's for sure. So. Isn't that neat? Well, you know what? It's just been uh, an honor to talk to you and read your chapter and finally connect with you. And I really want to keep in touch and since you've got some downtime over the summer, maybe we will put our, our two heads together and see what we, we will create. And I will introduce you to a few co-authors. And thank you for spending the last hour with me. It's uh, been one of the best hours out of the first day of summer hanging out with you. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And I told you we were going to have fun. Did we have fun? Yes, you're right. We absolutely did. We did. (laughs) Well, listen, you take care, and we will connect soon. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye, Bye, Andrea. Well, to say that I'm excited over this week and the interviews that I've had, we had Alan Witch, we had Alini Sarantino, and now tonight, Andrea Woods-Wilson just has been a week of reflection, in-depth interviews, and just lets me know that being in this chair, being in this chair and talking into this mic is passion uh, for me and traveling around the world and meeting just authentic people doing amazing things in the world. So thank you for spending another hour with me tonight on the change book radio show. And I will be back next week with another co-author from California. And I'm going to keep you in the dark to surprise you. So have a great week and be kind. Take care.